Hello everybody, it's me, Chad, your friendly neighborhood podcast host. Today's format's a little bit different. We've got Jennifer interviewing an author at Warwick's Books. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Or spin your legs off on that cycle, or run like hell on the treadmill. author of the instant New York Times best-selling novels, The Nest and Good Company. The Nest was a Barnes & Noble Discover great new writer's pick and named one of the best books of 2016 by People, The Washington Post, NPR, and others. Her work has been translated into more than 28 languages. She has been a guest on Today, Late Night with Seth. How is Seth Myers? Oh, he's the best. Was yeah. that, yeah. He really does support authors in a He a loves, it's so life. adorable. He and his mom have a book group. Oh. Like his mother calls him and says, "I think you should read. You know, I think you should read this." I love and then, and then, That's yeah, cool. and then he he picks people to be on his show. I he's just amazing. No, he's, he is such yeah. a supporter of authors and he's, and he's so really, great. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sorry. And he's he's a real he's a real reader. <laughs> yeah. So, no, he's yeah. not just faking it. No, no. it's not like a pa- yeah. it's not like a vanity project. It's like no. a passion. He definitely. Project. You can tell by the way yeah. he talks about. It. He yeah. really can. He's read every book. He's yeah. great. He's amazing. NPR is all things considered. The Nest has been optioned by AMC, AMC Studios and is in, in development as a limited series. Got to hear about that in a minute. Um, she holds an MFA from Bennington Writer Seminars and lives in LA with her family. And we're celebrating the paperback release of Good Company tonight because, yay, because that was released during pandemic time in hardcover. So. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer Thompson, who's sitting in that other chair. <laughs> Jennifer has been a rock star for Warwick's. I don't know if any of you watched any of our Zooms, but she has <laughs> conducted dozens of virtual author events for us. And um, I'm just loving that we're here in person. I know, now. it's so exciting. This is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new friend. <laughs> That's I think. Person, but I still love the Zoom stuff, so don't get me wrong. I love sitting in my house sometimes. Um, Jennifer is creative director and co-founder of the San Diego Writers Festival. She's an author branding expert, digital marketing strategist, and host of the Premise Podcast. This will also be on the Premise Podcast in a few weeks. She's an author and speaker who delivers strategy-rich content and actionable tools that educate and empower authors. She's the founder and principal of Monkey at Monkey C Media, along with her husband Chad, sitting over there. <laughs> He's the one recording. An award-winning firm specializing <laughs> in book packaging, author websites, and digital marketing strategy. Ladies, have a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Julie. you so much, Julie. Well, I'm so glad to be sitting here with you. This is awesome. Uh, same. Thank you, everyone, for being Thank here. Thank you. Yes, thank you guys for coming out on this. We had a few more members of our book club that, ha- unfortunately, one got bit by a rattlesnake. <gasps> oh, no. Whoa. Up, so we had them. They were. That's totally fine. Here, I'm, we're small but mighty. Yeah. That's yes. right. That's right. <laughs> it's not something you hear every day. Well, she got bit by yeah, a rattlesnake. Yeah, she got bit by a rattlesnake. Get it together and get here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to tuck that away for like, you know, that's, that's the when I'm too tired excuse. to go out too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be seeing you in a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I hope she's to, okay. Sorry, I used to work in New York and I saw you at the Center for Fiction. Oh. Mm-hmm. This was my first book event in San Diego. So oh, yay. I'm so excited. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad. Well, this is a iconic bookstore. Yeah, I mean, this I place is special. It's so. It is the best. So I just want to say thank God for paperback. Truly. here we are. Yeah. And this is your second stop on this tour? It is. It is. So the very first book event I did was last night in Los Angeles um, in my local neighborhood bookstore. I live only a few blocks away. 
and um, you know everyone came and then we all went back to my house for cake and champagne and it was amazing and I don't think I was just talking to Julie about this I don't think I realized how you know like the creative process part of it is making something and then the other part of it which is equally important in some ways is putting it out in the world and, and talking to readers and interacting with people and hearing what people think about your book and not having that part happened I have found myself not very inspired to be writing mm. again and just even that little hmm. thing last night just being in a room talking to people about writing, talking about books, yeah. got me excited again. It's like you have to refill your tank, you yeah. know? And yeah. um, and this is a huge part of it. And I love independent bookstores. It's like where I spent my childhood. Yeah. And uh, and so I really, I really missed, I really missed that. I really sort of grieved not being able to go to all the places that had supported me so beautifully when The Nest came out, so. Well, and you know, everyone talks about this being your second book, so there's a lot of pressure for your second right. book to do well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. you're in a pandemic. <laughs> but it has done well. It has. It's Thank done really goodness. well. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It's a beautiful book. Thank you. I love all the characters. You write with such tenderness and this empathy that is just so beautiful. When I read a book like that, and I know I get to sit and talk with the author, it's so exciting. Because I get to ask you questions like, where did the story come from? Mm -hmm. um, well, it came very slowly. I It started uh, before I even finished The Nest. I was on vacation with my family uh, in Maine, which we have done every year for many, many years. And I just had this... Uh, overwhelming urge to reread Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner, which is one of my favorite books. Yeah. And family. Yeah. And <laughs> marriage and yeah. friendship. And and I finished it. I, I actually went to the bookstore and bought a copy because I didn't want to wait till I got home. And I when I finished it, I thought, oh, why don't people write more books about marriage and friendship? It's mm -hmm. like such a rich thing to mine, especially friendships that are marriages that take place you know that take place over a long time mm -hmm. and and what happens to those relationships as people's lives change especially when they are sort of pursuing similar paths but not everyone is moving at the same speed yeah. so that was sort of the initial idea and um, then when I started thinking about it a, a little more specifically, I always try and sort of have in my head um, a question hmm. that I think I'm writing to. And for this book, it was, what happens when life isn't all possibility anymore? Hmm. When you have to sort of face the fact that the choice, the, you know, the choices and decisions you've made have sort of piled up and you are not waiting for life to begin, but you're in your life. Oh my gosh. And yeah. and so that was kind of what I was looking at. Yeah. I've had this question. Just in the last week I asked a friend of mine. You know, I feel like, and I, this happened a lot with Flora in the book, yes. this idea of remembering. Like yeah. she's, she's like, I gotta remember this. This is really yeah. important. Yeah. 
And I was recently talking to a friend and I said, I feel like I'm at the point in my life where instead of like looking forward to the excitement of the future, mm -hmm. I'm looking back on the decisions I've made. And mm. it's such a weird feeling. And I feel like Flora is kind of going through that as well. Yes. Were you personally going through this? Is that partially why? Well, I mean, why? you know, I really changed my life in a very dramatic way mm -hmm. with the nest. And yeah. I... Why, why so? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think... I think what I was thinking a lot was, what if I hadn't done that? Mm. You know, like, what if I hadn't taken the plunge mm. and gone back to school and decided to do this thing that in the back of my mind I always really kind of wanted to do, but I always told myself I didn't really want to do. And, and then also, you know, I'm 61. And and you look amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, your age. And, and you got I, your MFA at 55. It like a little younger than that. Okay. The nest came out when I was 55, like okay. in my 50s. Got it. Okay. Um, I think I was 50 or 51 when I went back. And and um, and you know, it's just like my kids are older and out of the house, and so it is like a looking back, looking forward kind of moment. Mm -hmm and thinking about what the next part of your life is going to bring. And the other part of it is, because I live in Los Angeles and because my husband's been a television writer, I, I have a lot of friends who are performers and in TV, they're writers, um, they're actors, and that uh, sense that they have of, well, you only have a little bit of time Especially for women, too, especially in our for 50s, women, right? You yeah. were made to feel like, oh well, you know, it's almost over for you. Especially yeah. in acting, yeah, and yeah. If you're right, if you're on camera, if you're on camera, it's true. Um, yeah. But also, just that I was so fascinated. I continue to be fascinated by my friends who do this work because it is you're starting over again all the time. Right. You can be on a hit TV show on a Friday, and it ends on Monday morning you're back doing auditions mm -hmm. and it's so much rejection mm -hmm. and and it requires compromises sometimes within a, 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 a couple or with a family mm -hmm. like not everyone gets to do the thing they want to do all of the time obviously right. that's like the most basic <laughs> sentence <laughs> I will hopefully say tonight. But, um, <laughs> but it's true. We're but always making yeah. compromises. Well, I mean, right? in the arts, it's not like you have a job. It's not like you're, you know, you're an attorney or you're a doctor or you're an accountant or whatever you are. And there's sort of a path and you're working toward the day when you can stop working. It's, it's a different perspective. What did you do before you went back to school to get your MFA? Well, Jennifer, I did branding and marketing. <laughs> uh, of course you did. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have to ask, because this is about family and friendship. Mm -hmm. It's about the empty nest. Mm -hmm. But you wove in this thread of this acting troupe mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. beautifully. Like, it's almost in some ways a metaphor for the relationship that's happening. Mm -hmm. Was that always the case? Were you always going to have this about an acting troupe? Like, um, it happened. I mean, I... When I first started thinking about the characters, I knew that I wanted some of them to be actors, and I wanted 
one of them to be famous because I have had friends who have become famous and I've seen what mm. like what's great about that and what's really hard about that mm. and I and I wanted to explore that a little bit and then very early on in the book I, ha I have a, a very good friend uh, who is sort of straddles the theater TV director showrunner world and I was saying, you know, I need I need something for these people, and he told me about this place called um, the Chekhov Project at Lake Lucille, which is north of New York City, and it is a married couple who have this theater company that only takes place in the summer. All they do is Chekhov. They do one every year, <laughs> and everyone goes. It they put it on in two weeks, and everyone goes and lives there. They camp out. They stay at neighbors houses and as he started telling me that he was like that might be a good thing for them and so you know that was fun that was fun to build out I talked to a lot of people who did it I talked to one of the founders mm. and made my own version of it but it was it felt like it, it felt like something I could really use because as my friend Rollins said to me who had a theater company and I think I put this in the book you start a theater company because you want a family, and then you realize, like, you've got a family. Yeah, with all of the yes, headaches. Yes, with everything that comes drama. with a family. Yeah. Reading this book, I was convinced that you had been in theater, that you had been no. an actress. Because it's, like, I have friends yeah. who are on Broadway and who are in New York and live that whole life, and I was like, oh, she knows. Well, I talked to a lot of people. You did a I, ton I, of yes, research. I did. I did. And... Um, I, part of the, one of the most gratifying things is hearing from people who are in that world mm. saying, "You nailed it! Like you got it right." Nice. So that's yeah. that has been fun. And but yeah, I talked. To, I mean, I talked to all of my friends, took them out to lunch, made them tell me all their best stories, <laughs> um, and I listened to podcasts. I watched documentaries. So I just sort of immerse myself in that world, which was great. I love theater. I mm. really, really love it. So, but I have not, no, I have never, but not since high, since the high school play. So <laughs> I don't think that counts. It doesn't yeah. count. <laughs> no. <laughs> but did, did you always know, I mean, did these things sort of evolve as you were like interviewing people and researching and did the characters develop from those intimate conversations with your friends or? You know, how did the book yeah. unfold in that way? Did um, I mean, to be honest, the book unfolded at what felt like a grinding pace. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was hard having a book where I was trying to integrate a lot of backstory when I still didn't quite know what the... What the backstory was? Or what the present story was. <laughs> so um, it was, you know, it would be listening to someone or talking to someone and hoping that I would get a kernel mm. of, a, 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 you know, something that could, would give me a scene mm. that would move the story forward. Tell us about The Ring. So uh, when I started the book, I couldn't quite find my way in. I was, I was writing and I had accumulated, I don't know, 30, 40 pages, and um, it just wasn't like taking off. Right, right. And I went on a business <coughs> trip with my husband, 
and I've never done this before in my life. His business trip, yes. I left my wedding and engagement ring in the hotel room, and they disappeared. And the worst part about that was the wedding ring that I had taken to wearing was my grandmother's wedding ring. And it was like a complete, Mm. it was just like a tiny little band of white gold. It was worth nothing. You would sell it for $20, you know, at a pawn shop. But of course, it was invaluable to me, and I was devastated, and I was chewing this over and telling everyone the story. And I couldn't believe how many people had a similar story of losing Mm. some piece of jewelry that belonged to a grandmother, an aunt, a mother, that, you know, it's... It's um, it's just an object, but it's imbued with so much meaning. Yeah. And I just thought one day, well, maybe that, maybe that's how the story starts. Like maybe Flora finds a ring. Mm. Like how could that work? And as soon as I started writing it that way, everything kind of yeah out. fell into place. So I want to talk about the point of view. Mm-hmm. I loved you did the third person limited mm-hmm. omniscient, mm-hmm. which was brilliant especially for this kind of a book. Because like in the beginning, I'm reading and I'm like, oh yes, I'm with the character and I get exactly what they're mm-hmm. feeling. And like, that's that's it, right? That's what happened. Right. A couple chapters later, we get the perspective. Right. Right. Through the omniscient. I'm like, oh. And it played so well in like the friendship and the, you know, the, the family, this whole relationship right. thing that's unfolding. Did you always know that you would write from that point of view or did you? I I sort of gravitate to that, Mm. um, partially because I think it just keeps me interested uh, in writing. Mm. But I think particularly for this novel, because I was writing about these four friends and the daughter of one couple, I... I felt like you needed to do that thing that you do like after a party <coughs> or after a dinner party. Like even the people you love the most, they leave and you're like, oh my God, can you believe she was talking about that again? <laughs> like I can't, like if she talks about her stomach one more time, you know, I'm not like, and and they're people you love and, and they're people, but sure. you know, obviously we're all human and we're all flawed creatures. And we're all annoying in some way, <laughs> and and um and they have this very particular tension with their relationship, which is that three of them all started out in the theater with very similar hopes and ambitions, and they've all you know had to go off, like gone off in different ways, and so it just felt like that made the most sense to me about how to tell the story. When did you know that they would be bicoastal? That part of the story would be in New York, and part of it would be in LA? Because you had moved yes. to Los Angeles. I thought the whole book was going to be in LA, oh, and then and then I don't know. I'm not done writing about New York. <laughs> I I'm just not. I I just it was. It's like a magnet drawing me back. I mean, I lived there for 27 years. You were you born know. in Rochester, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And um and I but you know, I moved there right after college, like literally weeks after college. I met my husband there, I have my kids there, I you know, it's where I became a grown up. And mm-hmm. so it's a very easy for me to write about New York. It's just like in my bones. Well in theater. You know, yes. the theater has to be in New York. Yes. Well, yes. Exactly. I mean that's where it all takes place, right? Oh yeah. And we do have good theater in San Diego. 
I will say. Do you? We do. We do have some good theater. That, no, that's amazing. I yeah. mean, there's good theater in Los Angeles, too. I would it's hope not, so. It's not New York. <laughs> it's never New York, I know. But the magic of New York, I loved that piece of the book because there is something about being in New York and, you know, not just the theater piece, although that's part of it, but just like the, the magic of New York is so much different than LA and the idea yeah. that people are like, you're moving to Los Angeles, well, better you than me, right? Oh, yeah. You probably <laughs> experienced that a lot when yeah. you were moving. Yes. But it gave this tension for the characters, too, of this love of their heart in New York, but doing something for their career, or in right. this case. And I mean, it is, a re and it is a real thing if you are in the theater. Mm. Um, if you decide, if you decide that's what you want to do, that's what you're going to commit to, um, you're sacrificing a lot of money and material things and there is a real tension between people who leave New York to go to LA to do TV you know there I mean people there are some people who judge it there aren't sure. there aren't many people one of the interesting things to me was talking to my friends who are in the theater world and there aren't many people who can do both because theater and television. Yeah, because or even theater requires you being very big. Yeah, and television doesn't, mm -hmm. and it's hard for people to go back and forth. And so the people who can, you know, someone like Laura Linney or you know Holland Taylor, That's you impressive. know, people like that. Mm. Yeah, but that is a very it's very valuable, mm. and it's unusual. I saw a play, it was actually a Shakespeare, here in San Diego, mm -hmm. and one of the actors was from House of Cards, and so uh -huh. it was a real big draw. Yeah. She was terrible, <laughs> just dreadful, and I thought, wow, and she was so overacting. So I think the people who were, right, yeah. she would think it'd be the opposite, but I think yeah. she was trying to compensate, yeah. and she overdid it, and it just felt so out of place. Yeah. And I thought about that scene as I was reading yeah. this book. Well, my friend Adam, who went to, you know, Yale Drama and worked at um, Stratford in Canada, uh, he thought that was going to be his entire life doing Shakespeare mm. in, in Stratford. And he's a real classical actor. And then he fell in love with a woman who was like, I'm going back to LA where I'm from. And so that's where he lives now. But even when you, t even when he's at a dinner party, he projects. <laughs> like his voice is so, right. it's beautiful to listen to. Right. But he said he has to consciously like mm. bring it down when he, you know, goes to auditions and. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Margot must have been so much fun to write. Yes, she was. Speaking of big personality. Yeah. She's pretty selfish. Pretty. Yeah. Where does Margot come from? Tell us about this character and writing this character. I mean, I think that Margot is some, you know, being famous fucks you up. Amen, right? I, it yeah. really does. And being recognizable and um, never really having privacy and you, but you also sort of get addicted to that mm -hmm. and you start to feel entitled to certain things and certain behaviors. Yeah. And it's also a, a sort of job that encourages you to believe that 
you know, you need to be taken care of and you need to take care of yourself. Like, you know, you can't do anything to your voice. You can't, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a weird, weird thing. And I talked to a friend of mine who has been on a, a procedural for many, many years and asked, you know, she really helped me flesh out Margot's sort of like day on set and what would that feel like and mm. how boring it is and how the hair and makeup people are terrible <laughs> gossips and, you know, like <laughs> all of that stuff. But I said to her um, at the end of our, you know, conversation, how do you feel about people recognizing you in public? Mm. And, and, she, and she sort of went, <gasps> like I'd asked her, how much money she made or something. <laughs> how much and she weighs. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and she was like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about that. Mm. And, and I was like, well, do you hate it or do you love it? And she was like, I honestly, I complain about it, but when I go out and I don't get recognized, it bums me out. Wow. And I just thought, so I thought about that for Margot. Like I just thought about, mm -hmm that validation that you come to depend on that is so peripatetic. You have no control over it. Mm. And, and I, I mean, I have been out with some friends of mine who are famous people and they're not being recognized. And I mean, they mm. will all but like drop a glass of water. So to, that people will yeah, notice. Yeah, oh. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. And you're just like, you complain about it all the time. But that table next to us is not recognizing you. <laughs> and now you're standing up and stretching. <laughs> like, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. And it came across beautifully. And I think that the limited omniscience allowed you to tell that story in such a way that really worked. Yeah. Because we got to hear from Flora how nauseating it was that she right. wanted to be noticed. Right. But then we got to hear from Margot how awful it was yes, to constantly so be terrible. noticed. Yes, so, like, so terrible. And believe me, it is terrible. It. I have also been out with friends where that thing happens where people think they're taking pictures and no one notices mm. and or you know, someone comes up to the table and goes, I'm so sorry, to, I'm so sorry to interrupt your dinner. <laughs> it's like, well, you are interrupting. Yeah. <laughs> You're interrupting a group of people having dinner. Like, you know, can I just, I mean, the, the, the advent of a camera in everyone's hand mm. has changed that relationship between celebrity and fan to a really toxic degree. Mm. Everyone thinks they des they're owed a picture. Wow. Like, Hey man, I'm a fan. Come on over. Can I, you know, can I take a like can I take your picture? Mm. And it's, you know, there's something, you know, there are those cultures that believe that when your picture is taken it like takes part, takes of, part of your, your soul. soul. Yeah. And, and but but having that sort of empty expectation on you does kind of empty your soul. Sure. That's well said. Yeah. Having a phone in our pocket and access to everything everywhere yeah. really has changed yeah. the landscape of who we are as people and what we expect from each other. Yeah, yeah. In, in sort of baffling ways. Mm. Like, what are you doing with that photo? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, right to privacy. Yeah. I want to talk about Ruby. She's just I so I would be amazing. delighted to talk yeah. about Ruby. <laughs> 
she's so grounding and so smart yeah. and she takes on the emotions of her of the adults mm -hmm. in the story mm -hmm. and flora is such an amazing mom yeah i think she's a good mom she's a good mom i was like you know she makes such good decisions and she stays grounded mm -hmm. for ruby and ruby is grounded but she's the grounding force for all the adults right so talk about bringing that character to life and what she means to you um i think i i don't it's hard for me to remember now my exact decision process, but I knew I just wanted Flora and Julian to have one child. And I think because I have two sons, I, sh I shy <laughs> away from writing sons. Mm. Me, um, I, I still, I, I, don't write I don't write autobiographically that much, but of course your own life creeps, you know, creeps into the books. Mm. And I, I just feel a little too protective of them still, although mm. I am, my new you. book is going to have teenage boys, so we'll see how that goes. But um, Your new book? Yeah. Yes. I mean, the one I just started. So, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll see if it, yeah, well, we'll see if it lasts. But uh, I just, you know, part of living in New York, too, is because of space and money and real estate, I knew a lot of people who just consciously were like, we're having one kid because mm -hmm. We've because we've got a great deal in this apartment and we're we never leaving. <laughs> we can't move. It's like you just feel like if you have a good deal on an apartment in New York, you're like, well, I can't ever leave. It's it's a ridiculous one thing. kid, one dog. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and um, and and you know because I have a bunch of friends who have uh, only children, they're they're sophisticated kids. They're more grown up. Mm -hmm. They spend more time with adults. Yeah. They tend to be very comfortable with adults. Mm. They tend to be very mature. Um, mm. And then I think I just, I just thought about a kid, you know, I was this kind of kid, my older son is like this, who's just like always taking the temperature of the house mm. and worrying, mm. like just worrying. Like when my son was little, I couldn't even say I have a headache. He'd be like, you have a headache, mom? You have a headache? How's your headache? Oh. Does your head hurt? What's going, you know, like he's just that kind of worrier. And, and I just, uh, I don't know, Ruby was a sheer pleasure to write. Every time I had to write one of her scenes, it came really, really <coughs> easily, <laughs> and that's not normal for me. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was just, it was just fun. I just loved her. I just mm. loved her. Um, my friend Ruman Alam texted me after he finished reading the book, and he said, "I think you wrote yourself the daughter." You Never didn't have. have, and I was like, I don't think I, I my daughter would not be that cool, <laughs> but, but she was sort of the platonic ideal of, uh, of just a great daughter. Well, and Flora is the great mom yeah. too. Maybe the great yeah. mom you would be to a daughter. Yeah, or maybe, maybe would want as a mom. Yeah, you know? yeah. Talk about your writing process. Um, it's fairly boring. I get up <laughs> early. I do the New York Times spelling bee. I, I, uh, I um, try and write early in the morning. I, that's best for me. Then I'll sort of do research or take notes or, you know, it's just kind of like going to work every day. Mm. And I do try and write five days a week. Um, 
I, I, like where I am now, which is at the very beginning of the book, I'll even try and just dip in for an hour or two on Saturday or Sunday just to like keep my head in it. Keep the thread. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like right now my office is covered with those big 3M post-its and colored stickies and notes and I'm just trying to build out the world. Mm. Um, I think this book is going to at least start in the 1970s, so that's been kind of fun. I, I really do enjoy research. Mm. Um, and then, it, you know, it's just like grinding it out. You can, did you ever consider giving up on good company? Um, I, I didn't, I don't think I ever thought, I don't think I ever considered giving, uh, there were moments when I was like, is this, is this a book? Mm. It, like, I'm not sure this is a book yet. Mm. So, and it was very different from The Nest because The Nest just had this very high concept, you know, right from the first chapter, you know what everybody wants. There's a big problem to be solved. Everyone's, you know, everyone's right. desires were just there. I just had to, like, bring them all home, you know. And this is a... Um, it's more about a, feelings. Yeah. It's more interior, and it's a quieter book, and it has mm -hmm. a lot of backstory, mm -hmm. which I struggled with because I don't like backstory in novels unless it feels like it belongs. Mm. So, you know, there were times when I was like, okay, I'm just going to write the present story and then I'm going to write all the backstory. And I, yeah, I, I, I had a hard time with the structure of the book. And so there were definitely moments where I, you know, would just dump pages on my agent or dump pages on my editor and say, am I, like, should I stop? Oh. And you know, fortunately, they said no. <laughs> I said, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's so much deeper. So going, did you intend to write a book that was going deeper yes. than The Nest? Yes. I wanted to, coming off of The Nest, which was like a three-ring circus, mm. I wanted a more focused book. I wanted to spend more time with a smaller group of people. And that was harder. Mm. It was just harder. Do you think you were challenging yourself? I mean, uh, oh, for sure. I mean, if there's like no, can I do this? Yeah, or just or? sort of like, okay, I did it. I did it that way, mm. and now let me use like a different set of muscles, and like cross training. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, it 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 was harder, but I. Think Good Company's a better book. Mm. I um, I think that if it's not, writing a book is really hard. It's a really solitary yeah. two years, two mm. to three years. And if so if I feel like if I'm not, if every book isn't better than the last book, if I don't take what I learned and then sort of evolve it in some way, it's it's really not going to be any fun. Hmm. So part of what I'm always doing is trying to figure out how to keep myself entertained enough to going. stick with it. Wow. 
That's awesome. Yeah, which was also why I really wanted the theater world to be in there because I do love it. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Super fun. Yeah. Another thing that I meant to ask earlier was, you know, describing New York mm -hmm. and LA, I know both, mm -hmm. and you did so well. And there's a scene where you're describing an apartment in New York, mm -hmm. and I've lived in an apartment in the Meatpacking District, mm -hmm. where everything does three things, Yes, right? So the entrance to the bathroom is actually the kitchen. Right. <laughs> and the place right. where you keep your, your plates is actually the dish dryer, right. you know? Right. <laughs> and you did such a good job of like, describing that world and placing us in a New York apartment. Yeah, well, I mean, they're small, and so you have to, like, you have to, especially when you have a kid, you just, I, I feel, I felt like the apartment that we lived in when our kids were born, I felt like all we did was drive things out to our storage space <laughs> in New Jersey. <laughs> it was like, bring something in the house, load up the van, put it in the storage space. Our poor across the hall neighbor, I'd start putting things out in the hall and he was like, you people move more stuff in and out of that apartment. <laughs> I'm like, I, you are a single man. We have two children in here. So it was, you know, but yeah, it's just, it's like a Jenga <laughs> game. <laughs> like how can I fit these people yeah. in this place? How can so, this work? Which is yeah. such, so great. You had to have New York. And then in LA, you bring us to Griffith Park. Right. Well, I live right on Griffith Park, so I figured because yeah. it, you know we're there, and it's really about the outdoors. Yes, and the yeah. beauty. You you really captured the spirit of both places very well. Well, that was. I mean, that was a shock to me. I we bought this house because I loved the house, and I knew it was near, really close to Griffith Park, and I thought, well, I guess that's cool. But I had no idea how amazing Griffith Park is. Yeah, and. I had no idea how much I would, I had no idea when we moved to Los Angeles that I would just be able to walk out my front door and go into this nature wonderland every day. Mm -hmm. And no one ever thinks about Los Angeles that way. Yeah. And, and it was really what I fell in love with about our new life mm -hmm. was being able to do that. Um, you know, just being able to step outside. Uh, you can't. It, we lived in apartments um, not the entire time that we were in New York, but for most of the time. And and you don't just step out, you just don't open up a door and walk outside. It's the craziest thing when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And even when you had kids, it was like you have to go somewhere. Mm. You know, we're going to the playground, we're going to the park, we're going to the store. Um, you just don't open a door and let them run outside. It's, right. it's, um, it's a crazy way to live if you look at it too closely. <laughs> right, right. Do you do writing when you're walking, when you go on your walks to Griffith? I is do, I do. I mean, walking is, I really believe in walking as a way to work out problems when I'm frustrated. I go for a walk. Um, I get a lot, I work out a lot of stuff in my head hmm. while I'm walking. What are you working on now? Can you tell us? I, I, it's, um, I, I mm -hmm. think the book is going to take place in my hometown of Rochester, New York, and like I said, it's going to sort of start in 1977, and um, and it's about two families uh, who become entwined in each other's lives in very complicated ways. So, of course. yeah, we have to have the complications. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's yeah. Otherwise, it's just a 
story. It's not a book. But so you've you've done really well. Congratulations. I love good company. Thank you. What is your favorite thing about being a successful author? This. Like <laughs> I haven't been able to do this and uh, I love I love talking about writing and books and so being able to you know, I'm off on a seven city tour, which feels like a miracle. <laughs> and um, none of us have masks on. No, I know. We're just sitting here like actual <laughs> humans. And um, I love that. And then I am someone who I do like working by myself. Mm. And I do like those days, it's not every day, but on the good days where you sort of hit a vein and you're in it for a few hours it's it's really satisfying mm. it's, it's really satisfying well I hope you keep doing it for a very long time well you're thank a you lovely writer thank you you write with such tenderness and wit it's funny and I mean I just absolutely love your book so thank, thank you. you thank you thank, thank you for you writing so them much. I look forward to the next one thank you thank you I think we should open it up for questions yes all right. Um, this is on behalf of our friend Leslie. She couldn't be here, but she's a writer. Mm -hmm. She's an aspiring writer. And she was just presented with this amazing storyline that's somebody's true life, mm -hmm. not someone she knows. Like, mm -hmm. how would you, I you were talking about talking to your friends and mm -hmm. meeting new friends mm -hmm. and things. How do you manage, because she's, her thought was, I don't want to learn any more about it. I just want to take that little morsel and like mm, run with it. That's a good instinct. Um, I think that, you know, with good company, when I was when I was talking to my friends, the first thing I said to them was, if I use anything that's, you know, very directly what you told me, I will show it to you. And if it's uncomfortable in any way, we'll take it out. Um, you know, when you are, when you get into the building of the world of your story, you find that that real life stuff is more um, a way for you to get into the world rather than like using specific details. Okay. It's just like to create a familiarity hmm. so that, so that like I just, I needed to talk to enough people. I needed so that I felt comfortable creating this world. Okay. And um, my new book actually, you know, if I end up sticking with it, is about a story of two families in our hometown, something that happened in high school that I will never, I've spent all of my life thinking about this story. And I, but I don't really know much more than this very dramatic thing that happened between them. I don't really know the people involved. I don't want to know them. I'm not using them. I'm yeah. using the incident. Um, so yeah, I think yeah. she should just. I think she should do that. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah. We all kind of were talking about it. Cause like that's an amazing idea. And yeah. And the girl who n had spoken with the person was like, "Oh, here's his Instagram or whatever." And she was like, "No." Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I know other writers who have you know, read about something in the newspaper or met someone who has an, an incredible story and 
and have done something similar and you you know it's just it's also just it's also just easier if it's fiction yeah yeah Thank you. you're welcome what's your favorite book and what are you reading right now my favorite book <laughs> um what is my favorite book it's a tough question it is it's such a, <laughs> it's such a hard question um I mean, I really do love, I'm thinking about the books that I reread. I, I, I really do love Crossing to Safety. I, um, I love the writer Tessa Hadley. I tend to go back to her books again and again uh, because she's such a, she's able to say such complicated things in very clean sentences. Mm. Um, her characterization is amazing. I really love Elizabeth Stroud. I think she's um, also just an incredible stylist. Um, it, it, it kind of depends. Like I'm just seeing Lauren Groff's book there on the shelf. If I, like if I wanna, if I wanna read beautiful language, I'll pick up anything she wrote. She has such a unique style and hope that it rubs off on me a little bit during the course of the day. Um, Right now, I'm reading. I'm I'm actually getting ready to teach um, at a writers retreat, and I'm figuring out my two workshops. So I've been reading a lot of craft books, but one that I absolutely love is George Saunders' book. Uh, what is the name of it? It's like a line from a Chekhov story. A swim, a swim in the pond in the rain, mm. and. He brings you through a series of short stories all by the Russians and then in his very engaging, funny, down-to-earth way, breaks down the stories. It's really a book of close reading and I've been loving that. And I just, I, I just picked up The Swimmers by um, Julie Atsuka, I think, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm reading right now. I have been reading a lot of craft books, so. Do you find that you can read fiction when you're writing? Yeah, you, I, I, I read it all the time. Um, I, every once in a while, you'll pick up a book when you're working on something that feels, not like, it's not the, really the plot, but maybe the voice feels a little similar to what you're doing, and that I'll tend to put down and just wait. Uh, for another time or because it can kind of just mess with your rhythm. I can't, I don't, I can't read short stories when I'm working on a novel. Hmm. Uh, so I have been reading some story collections. Uh, Fiona and Jane is a new one that I've really enjoyed. And um, what else? It's, it's, it's the craziest thing. I read constantly and whenever someone says, what are you reading? My <laughs> mind goes blank. Totally blank. Yeah. Me too. <clears throat> did you so did you meet Jenna? <laughs> Only through Instagram live. Yeah, we did an Instagram I mean I was on I was on the Today show from my office uh in okay. Los Angeles. And but then she does an Instagram live right after the show, which was amazing. We talked for like an hour. And mm. um you know, she loves books. She's another Seth Meyers. She's, she's yes, she really, really loves books. She reads all the books. 
It was, that was really fun. I was so lucky that that happened for good company because uh, publishing a book in a pandemic, man, it was a drag. Yeah. It was a drag, but yeah. Hi. Hi. I'm also new in town, so I'm very excited about this. Oh. In San Diego, <laughs> I love books, I love your books. Yay. Um, so when I was reading it, I kind of assumed that uh, Margot was kind of like a Grey's Anatomy. Mary yeah, Grey. yeah. Um, and I love, I love Grey's Anatomy. Um, <laughs> I actually met a little player when she came to, to Oxford to do a talk, and I asked her what her favourite Guilty Pleasure TV was. And I guess it's, I think, appropriate to ask you as well, what's your favourite? Are you a Grey's fan? Do you prefer other Guilty I, You know, I watched Grey's, like, at the beginning, yeah. and then I sort of lost track of it, yeah. and and yet I still somehow read the Vulture recaps, even though I have no I no, <laughs> no longer remember any who anybody is. <coughs> um, in fact, I read, I read one the other day, and I thought, oh God, I wish I had read this when I was reading Good Company. It's like they want to send one of the doctors to space, and I was like, that would have been the best. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like that would have been such a great way to get Margot off the t television show, tell her she's going to become an astronaut. <laughs> so, um, but I love, <laughs> I love British, I love any British TV show, like I love Call the Midwife, I love, um, I love like, genteel TV, like spinsters sitting around talking about, you know, Dan Forth. Like, I, I just love anything like that. I'm con I'm on BritBox and Acorn all the time. Um, Escape to the Country, I could watch 24 hours a day. It's the most insane show. They bring these lovely couple. They want to buy a country house somewhere. <laughs> they look at three houses. They never tell you if they ever buy the house. It's it's so it's so yeah it's so, um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else <coughs> that I consider a guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of those um, you know Firefest documentaries, or I'm going to watch the WeWork thing or the Dropout. I like I like stuff like that. So, but I don't feel guilty about any of that yeah. stuff. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. One of mine was younger, and she, Sutton Foster, yeah. was one of the, as who I thought of when you thought of it, it's very rare for people to be able to go yes. on television yes. to see Broadway. Yes. She did a really good job. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I've heard her memoir, it's really good too. Yes, I want to read that. I've heard that's really good. <coughs> um, younger is one of my guilty books. Yeah, Sutton Younger Foster. was good. Thank you. Um, I think, well, I can't remember the name of the book that she titled it, but. Um, it's something about crocheting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like arts and oh, some yes, craft. It's something crafty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My friend Pam Redman actually wrote the book Younger, mm. um, which I haven't read, but I guess, but I watched the TV show. I very much enjoyed <laughs> the TV show, even though it was like the most ridiculous. It's like they'd meet with an author on Wednesday and the book would be out the following Friday. <laughs> and you're like, really not how it works. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> truly. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you. Okay, one yeah. more. Yes. I mean, I have loved reading forever. I've just been a bookworm since a child, and I always find it fascinating how you, as an author, you develop these rich characters and this rich dialogue. And I think about 
how do you how do you create that? How do you create the dialogue? How do you create this characterization that's so deep and so detailed? Um, is it just drawing on your personal interactions? How do you define mm-hmm. that creative process? Um, I mean, s- sometimes, like sometimes you. Writing a novel is really hard because you have to make everything up. And so if there are opportunities, like Flora lives in my neighborhood because why would I put her in another neighborhood that I don't know? That was one thing I didn't have to work so hard to build. Mm -hmm. So of course she's going to live in Los Feliz. Um, (coughs) Ruby goes to a school where some of my friends' daughters have gone. So you, like it helps to be able to even just physically imagine something that you know so you're not creating it from scratch and then the rest of it is just it's just like bird by bird it's just word by word it's you know you just have to really concentrate on picking details that are specific enough that the reader can sort of extrapolate from them. So if you're describing a room and if you pick two really solid, very specific details, the room kind of comes to life. Mm -hmm. Rather than just by rote describing and then there was a chair in that corner and then was, you know, so it's, it's, you know, part of it is just reading a lot and you sort of absorb some of that stuff and and then just doing it. And then I think a lot of that, there's a lot of pruning that happens in revision once you have a draft. Uh, you, ha- you go back and take out as much as you possibly can. That's a nice word for it. And yeah. Pruning. Pruning, yeah. Um, you know, you take out stuff because then everything else <coughs> sort of becomes more intense. Mm. So it's it's just I don't know. It's a follow up work. to that. Yeah. Do you think that you would have could have written these books had you not gone back and gotten your MFA? Yes, but it would have taken me longer. Mm. I, you know, I've been a I've been a writer my entire life. Um, I knew when I started writing fiction that there were things, that I was doing things wrong Mm. and that someone could teach me how to, like someone could tell me why things weren't quite working right. Mm. And and the program I went to was great because it was a little residency program and you work very closely with one teacher for your term and you send stuff back and forth and it's just, you know, there are tricks to anything, sure. Um, you know, you can't you can't teach someone how to love language. You can't teach them how to use words beautifully. You can't teach them how to have an eye that allows them to take in the world. And but you can teach them that um, a scene, you know, needs uh, the character doing something. That you know, that character comes out of action, not out of narrative. That you need dialogue. You can help someone make their dialogue better. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a like when I figured some of that stuff out. That was that was huge. And so some of it is technique and craft. Some of it is just is just innate. 
some of it is just reading all the time. And then if you can lay your own voice over all of that and have an engaging narration, then hopefully all those things click in a way that makes people keep reading. That's your job is just to keep them reading. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you do it very well. Well, thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you, Julie. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for coming. Hey, folks, this is Jennifer. And as you know, The Premise is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival, which, by the way, is happening this October, October 8th, in fact, 2022. It's going live to be, and in person. Yeah, live and in person. I'm really, really excited. We um, we have so many exciting things happening. So many exciting speakers. They're coming in from all over, and we want you to be there. So Coronado Public Library, the fourth annual San Diego Writers Festival. San Diego Writers Festival .com. You can subscribe to learn more about our programming and get on the list to win free books and all kinds of cool stuff happening. So San Diego Writers Festival dot com. Dot com. <laughs> Oh,